Welcome to Uncle Bob's Magic Cabinet, a mother-daughter podcast about all things magic and mythology and pop culture. And we're on. And she chokes again. <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm Liam, the daughter. Hey, I'm Lori. I'm the mom. It's morning time. Yeah. I can't be expected to swallow <laughs> totally fine. That came out dirty. The second I said swallow, I was like, just shut your mouth. <laughs> shut up. I'm surprised you were cognizant enough to even pick up on it. I know. Wow. <sighs> I'm going to get dragged for that one. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, it's morning again, so you're going to have to bear with us. We're kind of, are we turning into morning people? Never. Never. <laughs> We're kind of liking the morning vibe. Mm-hmm. I don't know how anyone else can relate to this, but, you know, sometimes, like, when you're going through a little bit of, you know, mental health struggles, yeah. you start off stronger in the morning. In the morning. And then as the day goes on. Because you wake up, it's like a new day, and you're like, yes, you're like, it's going to be great. You're going to fucking kill it today. <laughs> and then you go through your day, and you're just like... I can't do this anymore. I'm totally beat down. Knocked down. KO'd. Yeah. So like when we, by by nighttime, you're like, you're like, oh my God, I've had enough. So we're like, maybe let's start in the morning when we're a little more, you know, like we're ready to fucking go. Because if we sat down and I would be like, (laughs) I'd be a blubbering mess. So, you know, we've we've got our coffee. Got the Java. Brand new cup of coffee. Yeah. 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 I sing things a lot. Uh I don't know if we've ever talked talked about that um i don't know haven't we you do i ran i'll randomly sing a song or a sentence yeah you're sing songy i am sing songy you are. i think that would shock a lot of people <laughs> i think i come off as a little gruff and is that yeah. and spicy really yeah spicy. I, I think i'm pretty joyful <laughs> you're looking at me like keep thinking that <laughs> i think you're joyful why thank you so yeah. um the worst thing has happened <laughs> It's not the worst thing. No, it's the worst but thing. But it's typical Lee lore. Um, wait until you hear this story. <laughs> so people are going to be knocking at right. our door to give us a fucking reality television show because you could not make this shit up. Like, I'm not kidding. It happened. And I was like, why? Why? Right. Okay. So you mm-hmm. had a job interview the other day. Yeah. So I'm in, uh, in search of uh <laughs> she's in search of a new job of a new opportunity hey here is a great time to say please join our patreon so Laura <laughs> does not have to go on any more job searches <laughs> thank you yes please and thank you um yes so um i've been in the natural products industry for a long time right, right? so um definitely herbs vitamins that's that's the deal no one for is me. surprised nobody's surprised here so um i had an opportunity i was actually headhunted myself you know yeah. i was headhunted so I was like, yeah, I'll go on this interview and we'll check it out and see what's going on, right? Right. And obviously it was in a natural products store. Right, right. Um, So I need to do some grocery shopping. Yeah. So she goes, hey, why don't you come with me? And while I'm, you know, on the interview, you can go walk around and shop. You can shop. Because we've talked. I don't drive. And especially this was in the city. So, you Mm. know, my ass is not driving in the city. Right. And Um, I have probably been on... 
20 right. of these types of interviews. Right, right. And they always- Always in the store. Always take place at the store. Yes. Always. Yes, always. So we didn't even think anything of it. Right. We pull up, you know, I'm ready with like my fucking produce <laughs> bags. I'm like, give me the fucking deals. Give me the goods. And we pull up and it's an office. <laughs> it is not a grocery store. No. And there's nothing around it. Nothing. Nothing around it. And so I was like, oh my God, well, like, what do I do? Like, yeah. I can't shop. You have to go into the interview. It's not like there were no restaurants, coffee shops, nothing yeah. around. It was well, just this fucking building. Right. Well, there was a restaurant. You were going to go into it. Closed. 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 Right. The one restaurant. And again, I'm just letting you all in on my secrets. I have like extreme PTSD. So yeah. I was like, I can't stay and like this isn't me joking i was like i can't stay in the car you can't sit in the car by myself and it was like 90 degrees 90 degrees you know okay Mm -hmm. didn't know the area so Mm -hmm. i'm like oh my god Mm -hmm. so you go just come in with me i'm sure they have a waiting room you know (laughs) (laughs) okay i literally cannot believe this happened like i'm hearing it leave my lips i'm like how okay so we go in and they're lovely the lovely. people are lovely. And you tried to explain, like, oh, could she just sit in the waiting room or, Thought you know. We were, yeah, she And they shop. met us right at the door. Right it's not at the like door. I had a chance to, like, scurry away. No, go, no. Go hide in the bathroom or something. Which I would have done. I would have posted up on the fucking pot. <laughs> watch some vids. <laughs> nope. <laughs> met us right at the door. And she's like, well, just come in the room. Come on in. <laughs> and watch the interview. Gosh, <laughs> awkward. Um, oh my, I was mortified. And let me tell you why I was mortified. I have this really random fear of like overhearing someone's interview. I think interviews are the worst. I think they're so awkward. I don't care who you are. They're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. They're fucking weird. <laughs> and for some, so I guess I used to work at Whole Foods and right. they used to do interviews mm-hmm. in the cafe. Right, right. Again. In the Always fucking store. In the store. <laughs> in the store. But so when I would go on my break, I would sometimes like yeah. overhear the interview yeah. and I would just like, I'd have to leave. I'm like, I'm mortified. I don't want to hear this. It's so uncomfortable. So then as I'm walking in, I'm like, I have to sit here and I have to listen to my mother perform an interview in this tiny ass room. I'm not supposed to be here. This is uncomfortable. It was like literally my worst nightmare. The worst thing has happened. And then they're sitting there reading the questions to you. And I, again, I'm right there. Like, I might as well have been asking you the questions myself. I know. And she kept, like, looking over at you, like, like did you want to chime in? <laughs> chime in on this interview? I was like, look down, Lee. Look down. Look at your phone. <laughs> Don't fucking address anyone. This is so uncomfortable. And then she's like, so, Lori, how do you manage stress? And I was like, I was yeah. like, you want me to chime in? <laughs> Not well. She doesn't handle it well. No. Yeah. I'm a pro professional. <laughs> oh my god, the worst! How did that happen? Why? Why? That's so, that were, was so awkward. If I were you, that I would have a- just crawled into a shell and died. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Let's just roll with it. She's like, do you care if she stays in here? And I was like, I don't give a shit. I, was like, I care. I care. <laughs> no, please. No, I don't want to. <laughs> Oh my gosh, so bad. Yet another um, experience where we are, you know, in tow. So I was like dying laughing because before she saw me, you were like, my daughter's here. (laughs) They probably think I'm like a toddler. (laughs) And I peek my head and I'm like, nope, almost 30 year old lady, (laughs) just adult. (laughs) 
tagging along with my mom for a fucking job interview. Mortifying. I'm so oh, embarrassed. Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, people already talk about us that we're uh, excruciatingly Attached close and that we always do everything together, but this was a new. Oh my God. Was, it was like the scene in Step Brothers. <laughs> Sitting behind Will Ferrell. Hello, Miss. <laughs> oh my God! I just connected those dots. Oh, uh, it was the fucking worst. Like, put that. We've been through some shit together too. Put that in my top five most embarrassing moments of my life. Needless to say, I have not gotten a call. <laughs> you did not get the job. Maybe I did. <laughs> I'm like, shit, I should wear some nicer clothes. <laughs> oh my god. But we did get a good nosh at the at the co-op. <laughs> we did then go to the grocery store, which was five minutes up the road. I had a chaga mushroom latte and it was delish. Um, I had a what the fuck did I have? A chai latte that was also fucking delicious. Delish. So I am always about a nosh at a co-op. Ten out of ten on the co-op. Yes. Negative ten out of ten <laughs> on the job on interview. The shared job interview experience <laughs> of my fucking nightmares. So that's what I have for you today. I want you all to remember that story because we we need a TV show. We do. We like, do. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, you can't make this stuff up, guys. You, you just really can't. can't. You really can't. All right. So with that lovely story out of the way, <laughs> uh, Uncle Bob's has been picking an organization that needs a little shout out that we're going to be donating to. Jake, what do we have this week? This week is True Colors United. They implement innovative solutions to youth homelessness that focus on the unique experiences of LGBTQ young people. Yes. So Love that. I think this is our last episode in June. Mm-hmm. So I hope everyone had a happy and safe Pride yes, Month. Yes. I hope so. Yeah. So that link will be down below um, in our show notes if you want to check it out and learn more. Yes. And do you want to just jump right into it now? Let's, let's do it. All right, I'm ready. I'm excited. I, I don't have, think I don't know if we can top the story. The I don't know either. Thread. That's going to be stuck in my head, and I'm going to like have <laughs> residual shame <laughs> for the rest of my life. Heck with it. Oh my gosh. All right, so I have a heavy hitter today. Do you? Yeah, I do. One of the most requested, mm-hmm. but I've been waiting. I've been waiting for my moment. For your moment. Do you know? Yes. I'm doing the Adams Family today. Ooh, I love it. Ooh la la. All right. So I'm switching it up. Okay. Instead of just explaining the show or mm-hmm. the movie, I'm going to just do like the history of the Adams Family here. I love that. Because there's so many different versions. There I couldn't is. cover them all. Yeah. Okay. We could probably expand on the Adams Family later, but let's get a little history. Let's do it. All right. So Charles Adams, mm-hmm. born in 1912, grew up in New Jersey and always had a love for the macabre. Ooh. Macabre kebab. The macabre. <laughs> just want to say kebab every time I stumble <laughs> upon that word. Okay, having a relatively normal childhood, he was drawn to exploring the more mysterious sides of life. Ooh. Interested in the darker stuff. Spent a lot of time in graveyards, mm-hmm. you know, trying to find abandoned mansions, that yeah. kind of cool shit. Seems like he would have been our friend. Yeah. Okay. Of course. Um, he also had an interest in art and ended up in New York studying illustration in the 30s. He began selling his cartoons and wound up making a living purely with his art. Oh, wow. So um, as I was reading, it said that he is like one of the few that he never did anything else from what I can tell. Like he has always made a living off of his art, which I think is super cool. Yeah. 
What an accomplishment. Right. So Charles Adams drew over 1,000 cartoons specifically for The New Yorker, 58 of them featuring an unnamed family that would become known as the Adams family. Ooh, I love that. I didn't know this. When I sat a, down, that it was a cartoon. Yeah, or like, like a, a cartoon strip. cartoon. Uh, yeah, like yeah. a comic. I did not know that. Oh, I did, yeah. So I was fascinated. Cool. It became really popular and was eventually turned into a television series in 1964. That's my fave. Yeah, so before the show, the characters were unnamed. And the series is what really seemed to establish the characters and solidify their place in spooky pop culture. Love it. Love it. So since the show, they have been the subject of movies, an animated series, musicals, games, toys. You fucking name it. All of it. Halloween costumes. Love it. So the family and characters are portrayed slightly different depending on the format. But here is a general overview of the family and the characters. Okay. Okay, so we have the family. The Adams are a wealthy, weird-as-hell family who are into all things dark, spooky, macabre. Yes. Okay, they live in a giant spooky mansion next to a cemetery and a swamp. Ooh, a swamp? A swamp where all black, decorate like it's Halloween, you know the drill. 24-7. Again, basically us. Yes, right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so they are either A, completely unaware that most people find their interests in aesthetic odd, or Mm -hmm. B, simply don't give a shit. Right. Okay. Yeah. I love it. I love the, like, just, they're like, this is normal to us. What the fuck are you talking about? And they think everybody else is weird. Exactly. Right. Despite what some people think when they hear the Adams Family, they are not mean or scary. No. They're actually friendly, eccentric, charming, and accepting of all people. I love it. So as the iconic theme song says, they're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together ooky. The Adams Family. (laughs) That was good. I really hit the bass note there. (laughs) (laughs) So they challenge societal norms and are 100% themselves. I love it. They are considered to be a satirical inversion of the ideal American family, challenging what it means to be normal. I know. That's so cool. I loved the show when I was a kid. Yeah, so I grew up with the movies mm-hmm. and hadn't seen the show, so let's get into that. The okay. show ran from 1964 to 1966. Love that. And followed the family through typical situations, which their presence kind of stirs up and makes for some comical moments. Right. So, for example, the one I was watching, um, Pugsley wanted to be a Boy Scout. And Morticia and Gomez were, like, mortified because he had to wear the <laughs> ugly and normal Boy Scout costume. <laughs> I remember Do that you? one. Okay. I love it. it was yes. fucking hilarious. I, I, this... This show, the monsters and the monkeys. I could probably so I know read. Every- yeah, I read it, and I only saw it once, so I'm not sure like how good the source was. But it said that the Adams family was kind of the one network's response to the monsters, like uh-huh. because that had seen some success, and then yeah. it was like, well, let's yeah. do our own yeah. thing. So it had that like spooky vibe, which yeah. I love. Um, so the movies, like I said, which I grew up with, the first titled "The Adams Family" was released in '91. And then you had the Adams Family Values released in 93 and, of course, followed, like, a different plot line with additional characters and stuff. So coming from, like, me growing up with the series and thinking, like, those, like, Morticia and Gomez were so iconic. Right. When the movies came out, I thought, there is no way that they're going to be able to match. But Angelica Houston and Raul Julia... So, so good. good. And they put their own little spice in yes, there. Loved it. Totally iconic. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the characters a little bit. Here's just a quick rundown. Like I said, they're portrayed a little differently based yeah, on, you know, right. the show or the movie. Mm-hmm. But here's like a general overview. So you have Morticia Adams. 
most notably played by Carolyn Jones and Angelica Houston, like mm-hmm. you just said. She is the matriarch of the family. Her name is a play on Mortician. Yeah. Duh. Recognizable for her long black hair and long black dress. Yes. I love her hair, both. Uh-huh. Both Carolyn Jones and yep. Angelica Houston, that jet black yep. pinstripe hair. Straight. I love it so yep. much. Because it's the opposite of what I've always had. Yeah. Like mine's yeah. so curly and right. like out there. Yeah. I like love pin straight hair. Mm-hmm. She is seductive and soft, calm and cool, fiercely loyal, and loves cutting the flowers from a rose, keeping only the stem. I know. I love that. She keeps a garden of deadly plants and for that reason is known as a pop culture witch icon. I love it. Love it so much. Then you have Gomez, uh, played by John Astin and Raul Julia, like mm-hmm. you said, the father. He is known for his dark striped suit and tie and his little mustache. I know, so cute. Uh, he's goofy, suave, friendly, passionate, and madly in love with Morticia. Yes. Then you have Wednesday Adams, who is the daughter, played by Lisa Luring and Christina Ricci. Mm-hmm. Christina Ricci was just like, oh yeah. my gosh, so good. You dressed up as Wednesday for your uh, bridal shower. I did. I love Wednesday Adams. Uh-huh. Uh, she is the daughter. Her name is based on the saying, Wednesday is full of woe, which I didn't know. I thought I that was cool. That. Oh, cool. She is also known for her jet black braids and her black collared dress. She is fascinated with death and doesn't like to smile. Right. Then you have Pugsley, played by Ken Weatherwax. <gasps> Ooh, fun Ken name. Ken Weatherwax. I love that name. Oh, my God. And Jimmy Workman. He is the son, and he seems to be portrayed the like differently yeah, the most yeah. throughout the show. Mm-hmm. Um, he is known for his striped shirt. So in the show, he was like a little smarter and a little more devious. Yeah. And in the movies, a little more goofy, maybe, you know, a little mm, dumb. But he always yeah. seems to be getting into trouble. Right, right. Okay. Then you have Uncle Fester. In the show, he was Morticia's uncle, but in the films, he was Gomez's long-lost brother. Yes. He's devilish, bald as hell. Yeah. <laughs> He's I know. always bald. I know. Um, cousin It. Yes. The cousin who's covered entirely in hair and only speaks in little squeaks. Mm-hmm. And you have Grandmama. Grandmama. <laughs> Grandmama, who is a witch who likes to mix up potions and spells, mm-hmm. and she is known for her frizzy gray hair. You would have killed as Grandmama. <laughs> I always loved when they sat down to the dinner table, whatever she whipped up, it was like, Ooh. It was like ridiculous. <laughs> no, you could have totally killed as Grandmama for Halloween. <laughs> oh, okay. There we go. Halloween. So then you have Lurch, played by Ted Cassidy and Carol Stroykin. I'm sorry, I didn't have who played the other people. Oh. But can you forgive me? I can. Okay. I can. <laughs> okay, yeah. we're on to um, Lurch yeah. then. Uh, he is their butler who looks very similar to Frankenstein. And then you have Thing, who is a disembodied hand, who is Gomez's best friend. I love Thing. Oh, I yes. love it so much. So those are the characters. But I want to focus specifically on Morticia and Gomez because, like you said, they are completely iconic. I know. All right. So they are known as one of the best pop culture couples of all time. And for lack of a better term, relationship goals is often associated with the two of them. Oh, I know. Isn't that awesome? They're so cute. They are passionate, romantic, connected, adventurous, and very sexually compatible. Yes. Okay. They are equals, a true team, and they are madly in love with one another. So in the series, the relationship was known for being a little risque. Yes. Because it was filled with so much passion and love. Yeah. I found this so interesting. I was like, speak French. I know. Like, they are very playful and sexual with each other. Uh Um, Most shows of that era were showcasing very cookie-cutter type families. Like, think Leave it to Beaver, that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, So passionate, hot, steamy marriages where the couple actually likes each other Mm -hmm. was not being 
shown. Yeah. And so they were considered to be a little risque. Yeah, I love it. I know. And then moving on to the films in the 90s, there was even more. Yes. Like we said, they put their own spin on mm -hmm. it. They, there was even more sensuality yeah. and like little yeah. sexual jokes. Yep. You had Morticia, who was this confident, sexy, powerful woman, and Gomez, who like worshipped every yes. part of her, yes. which again was not being shown. Right. And like she was kind of the, she ran the roost. She sure did. I know. It was very refreshing. I love their relationship. It's I so cute. I do too. Uh, their relationship is known for being so quintessential that when I asked on Instagram for pop culture examples of twin flames, I got multiple responses saying Morticia and Gomez. I love that. I, I definitely can see that. So for cute. Sure. Yes. So that is our lesson today. We're going to talk about twin flames. Ooh, I'm excited. I cannot tell you how many people have asked me to cover this or yeah, us. Yeah. They're like, please talk about twin flames. I yeah. knew nothing. I was I like, what does that even either. mean? I mean, I know what it means, but I don't, like, know in depth. I just know, you know. I'm going to tell you. I am so excited. Are you fucking ready? Yes. All right. A twin flame is defined as an intense soul connection, sometimes called a mirror soul, thought to be a person's other half. Ugh. All right. It's very romantic. Is romantic. Okay. So as far as mythology, the concept of a twin flame seems to have many different origin stories, but the most common that kept coming up stems from famous Greek philosopher Plato. Mm. Okay. Specifically in his work Symposium, which okay. was written around 360 BC. Wow. Where he describes how there were originally 72,000 humans. Okay. 72,000? 72,000. Apparently these humans were born with um, a lot of extra limbs. Like everyone was born with four arms, four legs. Like what? everything really? was doubled. Okay. Okay. So they were too powerful. So the gods split them into two to keep them from taking over, oh. creating 144,000 people. This wow. separation made the humans feel hopeless and drove them to self-starvation. Wow. Like they didn't want to live because it oh, was so no. sad. Okay. So to partially restore them, the gods sewed them back together with only some of the original packaging. Okay. Okay. Uh, this restoration left humans with a deep desire. <laughs> a do desire. A deep desire. TM. Oh, shit. Left them with a deep desire to reunite with their missing half. Oh. They were not put back together whole. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. It's so tortured and beautiful. It's tortured and beautiful. <laughs> so the more modern take, like what it has kind of become, is that a twin flame is a soulmate on steroids is the comparison I kept oh. seeing. So the difference between the two being that a twin flame is one soul split into two where soulmates wow. are mates. Your two okay. souls and your, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yes. So with a twin flame, one soul has been split in half and put into two separate physical bodies. Wow. All right. So you will instantly recognize yourself in your twin flame because you are operating on the exact same frequency. Your souls are the same. Okay. Rather than feeling safe and secure like you might with a soulmate, your twin flame relationship will be more passionate, wild, intense, mm. very magnetic, very alive and full of motion. 
Okay. Wow. It may not always be pleasant. Like I think that that people hear this and they're like, yes, but I I said tortured for a reason. Like it doesn't. (laughs) Says flame. Exactly. Hello. Fire. Fire. Maybe turbulent healing, et cetera. Maybe more of a journey than you would expect. Okay. Okay. The purpose of the relationship is to shed the ego. Becoming more spiritually awakened, which is why meeting your twin flame will most likely be followed by a spiritual awakening of some kind. Ooh, I love that. Mm -hmm. It is an extremely close connection that often opens up telepathy between the pair. Like that Mm. is how close you're operating. Wow. Yes. Now, this seems to be a very divisive topic, which again, I didn't know because I knew nothing about it. So the argument is that the word is overused, all spirituality has been taken away from it, that it's just like a hot button topic right now, Okay. and that it gives people an excuse to become obsessed and ignore rejection, glamorizing unhealthy attachments. So the idea is like, Hmm. well, this person's my twin flame, so if they're saying they don't want to be with me, I know they're my twin flame and I'm going to wait. Oh, that or, kind of yeah. thing. Or I'm in a very turbulent relationship, but they're my twin flame. So, so it's okay. So exactly. let's accept exactly. bad behavior yes. or something. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Okay. So I'm proceed with you. caution uh-huh. there. Yeah. Um, as I was reading about it, I did kind of feel like that before I even read. Okay. I was like, mm, this could be bad, mm-hmm. but so could the idea of a soulmate. So yeah. I don't know. Take from that mm-hmm. what you will. Regardless, though, you could see how Morticia and Gomez would be a great representation of twin flames. They're red, they're hot, they're passionate. Yeah, fiery. Fiery. They're like definitely like one. Yes. Yes. Like I said, a team. So I love it. That is twin flames. I mean, that was. I love that. That's very interesting because I had no idea that there was a differentiation between the two. I didn't either. I thought there were. It was just another word for soulmate. Exactly. I thought the exact same thing. Yeah. So I thank you for you know suggesting that because yeah. I learned something today and I I was waiting for a cool moment to bring in the Adams family. Oh, because yeah. I didn't want to, you know, just do like she's a witch or kind exactly. of the same. So that I love that. that. I love that different. I know. Yeah. You're just switching it up switching a little bit. Switching up a little bit. I like it. So that's the Adams family and twin flames. I have a few side notes. You already brought up one. I did dress up as Wednesday Adams for my bridal you shower. You did. But you didn't mention. So my cousin. Yes. Who I'm close with and her husband. <laughs> Dressed up as Morticia and Gomez. It was great. I love that have, picture. I have to pull out the picture. Yes. It's fucking hilarious. Jay, who's my yeah. cousin's husband, um, wore the little Gomez mustache and a wig. And it is the funniest thing I've ever so seen. So hilarious. Like for a while, it was my phone background because it was so funny. So thank you, Ashley and Jay, for participating <laughs> with me. Um, the theme song is iconic. We yes. kind of sung it a little bit, but yeah. it was written and arranged by Vic Mizzy. Okay. Love that name. Vic love it. Mizzy. It's considered one of the most well-known themes of all time. Seriously? Yeah, I just thought I had to interject that in there. Hey, it's a snappy tune. It is a... uh, (laughs) I love that. I know, I was watching the show and like the intro sequence to the show is pretty fucking iconic. Oh, yeah. I love it. Absolutely. So um, they do have the show. I was able to watch it for free. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So go and enjoy. If you were like me and you had only seen the 90s, go back and watch. It's fun because it's a sitcom and it has like a laugh track, but it's like goofy. It's totally goofy. It is. And fun. It's a good time. I love it. I love that show. I love I love the Adams family. They Mm -hmm. definitely, when I was little, like they were totally normal to themselves. Yeah. And I loved that. Like they were just being who they were. They didn't give a shit. Right. And we all need a little more of that. I, I agree. 
So I that agree. is the Adams family. I love that. Yay. Oh, thanks for sharing that. I learned something today. You are welcome. Awesome. So I'm kind of switching it up a little bit today, too. Are you? Yes. Lore. You'll have to bear with me to the end. Okay. To figure out how I weave in some magic here. Oh, my God. Okay. Right? I'm so excited. Wow. You switching it up? Virgo lore? What? I am shook. <laughs> All right, so I'm doing Across the Universe today, <gasps> 2007, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. jukebox musical, romantic drama film. Did That's you say what jukebox it's... musical? Yes. I've never heard of that before <laughs> in my never life. never heard that word. My... What the fuck is that? But okay. I don't, I don't know. I just love these fun little kitschy terms they give. And like, I'm like, who I've, made that I've up? I've never heard of that. So we have to say that this is one of your favorite movies. Of all time. Of all time. my top three. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I remember when you were little, you could not go to bed unless this movie was on. Yeah, I've always had to play movies. Like, I have to have the TV on when I fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And so when I was little, I would, like, zero in on one. And I watched Mm -hmm. Across the Universe every night for, like, years while I went to bed. For years. Years. Yes. That's what we sat down to watch it for this. I was like, do you know how many times I've seen this fucking movie? Like, yeah. it's kind of insane. You're like, mom, you don't even need to watch it. I could just give you a recap. That's what I was like. Would you like me to recite the entire <laughs> thing for you? Because I could do it. it. This movie is like watching a painting come to life. Yes. It's stunning. Well, we're going to talk about that. Okay. So it's directed by Julie Tamar. Yes. Who I can't even say enough about this woman or her movies because she's done another movie that you love, which is Frida. She's an artistic genius. She, my Virgo brain loves this woman Mm -hmm. because she is so detail oriented like you could watch this movie a million times which you obviously have and her use of color Mm -hmm. her subtle references that you know like you would kind of need to know because she dives in deep with some little easter eggs and nuggets and it's like it is so captivating. So you can watch and watch and watch and not ever catch everything. Yes. she Her attention to detail, she has to be a Virgo. Yeah, that's interesting you brought it up because I was thinking that when we watched it, like me and you have that very, like people always call us the Gilmore Girls, but we have that very like witty mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing going with each other. Repartee. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she did hide so many deep cuts in this movie that kept me like... On oh, my toes. like it kept me on my toes. I'm like, ooh, that's that was quick. Yes. And I like love that kind yeah, of shit. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So she is a creative genius. Yes, for sure. The script is based on an original story by Julie Tamor, Dick Clement, and I know I'm going to mess up this uh, name, oh, Ian Lafrenaise. I think you tried. Okay, yeah. I tried. I gave it the college gift. Thank you. Uh, it is based on a song by the same name. By John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, might be getting an inkling <laughs> that the story revolves around songs by the English rock band. The, the one Beatles. and only Beatles. I just tried to have like an the accent Beatles. and it didn't work. <laughs> I really tried though. Um, and it incorporates 33 of the Beatles tunes in this movie. Oh, whoa. 33 of the songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie was considered a box office bomb. Oh, no. And I'm talking a bomb. So this is why I give the stats, people. The budget was $70.8 million, and it only did 296 at the box office. Ooh. So did not even make. And 20 of those were me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a lot of what people were saying is it was there was no plot. 
I think that's bullshit. See, I, think I will defend was. this movie. Um, they're saying, oh, it was a cliche love story. Oh. And, you know. You know what? Fuck you. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. So it was a complete bomb. Wow. Uh, but Julie Taymor got to enjoy the premiere of the movie with none other than Sir Paul McCartney sitting beside her. And he said, what is not to love about this movie? He loved it. And Ringo and Yoko also gave their seal of approval. So. So y'all can suck it. No, but like that'll make you shit your pants. Right. Sitting next to Paul McCartney watching this. She said she was like so anxious that she kept thinking, oh, he's not going to like it. So she asked him at the end, like, is there anything that I would like you would change? And he was like, what's not to love? This is great. So and it is a great film. I, I think it does have a plot. <laughs> it does have a plot. I think does. so. Yeah. But maybe, you know, we shouldn't do movies based on Beatle tunes because <laughs> I don't think Sergeant people Pepper like them the, very much. Sergeant Pepper in the 70s was also a bomb. Talk about not having a plot. Talk mm-hmm. about a ruination of careers. Yeah, yeah. All right. So the cast, except for the heavy hitting cameos, this cast was relatively unknown. Mm-hmm. But I believe that you have told me that these folks were not singers. Not that I was aware of, no. Yeah, and yet they were awesome. Yeah. Right? So Jim Sturgis plays Jude. Jude. Right? From Hey Jude. Uh, Evan Rachel Wood is Lucy. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. (laughs) Joe Anderson is Max. Maxwell Silverhammer. Dana Fuchs is Sadie, or Sexy Sadie, and she's definitely... Uh, Janice Joplin influence. Yeah, yeah. nod to Janice Joplin. Thank you for that. Martin Luther McCoy plays JoJo from Get Back, and he's definitely a nod to Jimi Mm -hmm. Hendrix. TV Carpio plays Prudence Mm -hmm. from Dear Prudence, and so on and so forth. And then we have cameos by Joe Cocker, Eddie Izzard, Salma Hayek, and Bono. Yes. All right. So we're going to go quickly through the movie. Okay. Uh, set in the 1960, the film follows Jude, mm-hmm. who has left a mundane life of working in the shipyards of Liverpool to head to America to find his GI father, whom he's never met and is working at Princeton University. Nice. He meets up with Max mm-hmm. on the visit um, t- on the campus, and they become BFFs. It's a bromance. It's a bromance. Uh, Max decides to take Jude home with him for Thanksgiving, where Jude meets Max's sister, Lucy. And... Sparks are flying. We have a love story, folks. Mm -hmm. All right. Max drops out of school. He and Jude head to New York, and they're kind of going to Jack Kerouac it across the... Oh, yeah. You know, they're going to be on the road. Live that life. They rent a room in Greenwich Village from musician Sadie, Mm -hmm. and her soon-to-be guitarist and boyfriend Jojo. 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 Uh, Prudence comes in through the bathroom window and (sighs) joins the friend group. Yes. Okay. The whole story is set against the 1960s backdrop. Okay. And everything going on in the world at the time. And it makes reference, or should we say, nods to real life events that happen historically. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, So the Vietnam War, 60s counterculture, the civil rights movement, and expanding your consciousness. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm so excited right now. Yes. (laughs) So Max gets drafted into the Vietnam War. Sadie becomes a star. Jude designs her logo because he's an artist, um, which is a strawberry. So when we're talking about those deep dives, so he's trying to come up with her logo and he's 
takes a strawberry, right, right from strawberry fields. Yes. But yet you see him cutting a green apple in half, which is if so you yeah. have to you know have something to know. about the Beatles. Yeah. So Apple Records right. was their label, and if you had a forty-five or a vinyl, the logo was a, the apple. a cut yeah. in half mm-hmm. green apple. Oh my God, I love it. So those like all through the movie, so awesome. Lucy is the activist who joins the students for the Democratic Republic to protest the war, and she struggles to understand Jude's lack of care in the war effort, stating he only wants to sit around and doodle. Wow. So Lucy and Jude do the classic fight breakup scene. June's de- J- June. <laughs> June. June is the month, but Jude is the character. <laughs> So Jude is deported back to Liverpool as he is in the U.S. illegally, Mm -hmm. which is a nod to John Lennon's deportation. Right. Okay. Um, Only to come back legally and win back Lucy with a stellar rooftop serenade, Mm. mimicking the Beatles' Let It Be concert on the rooftop of Apple Records uh, with All You Need Is Love. And they all live happily ever after. How's that for a plot, asshole? How's that? How's that? I mean, I encourage you, if you have not seen this movie, it is just so awesome. Even if you don't like the Beatles and you're not into that, the movie is just good. It's It's so visually stunning stunning and so interesting, and I think you would enjoy it regardless. I I think people hear Beatles, and they're like, if they don't. Right. Really love the Beatles. And I think it's really applause to someone who can take songs and weave so a well story. known too. Yes. Yeah. Weave a story around it. I think it's awesome. I do too. But speaking of expanding your consciousness, yes. <laughs> this is where my lesson comes in. That was a really good segue. It was it? Yeah. All right, thank you. I, I worked <laughs> on that for a long time. <laughs> so at one point in the movie, when Sadie's about to sign her record deal. The group is invited to a party for existential drug guru, Dr. Robert. Yes. Uh, they drink LSD, laced punch, Kool-Aid, wink, wink, mm-hmm. and then hop into Dr. Robert's bus called Beyond while he belts out the tune, I am the walrus. cuckoo cachoo, baby. cuckoo cachoo. They're on their way to meet up with another guru, Dr. Geary. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely an example in the movie of art imitating life, yes. right? So Dr. Robert is a nod to Ken Kesey and his band of the Merry Pranksters mm-hmm. who drove from California to New York on a wildly painted bus they called Further. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters. I don't think I could express to you how excited I am because I don't know a lot about this. Okay. And I don't I, know why or how I don't. I knew like all of the characters, but I didn't know how they played. how they interweaved, which was fascinating. Oh my god! All right, so Ken Kesey starts out in life, and he said he's like an all-American boy. He didn't even drink beer, right? Wow, way to go! Yeah, yeah. he's like a champion wrestler in high school, and he marries his high school sweetheart, Faye. Cute. Graduates from the University of Oregon with a BA in speech and communication in 1957. Okay. And then he goes on to study at Stanford University on a fellowship. Okay. Okay. So while there, he works as a night aide on a psychiatric ward. Okay. And this becomes the inspiration of his first highly successful novel called One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I didn't know that. I had no idea. Can I tell you a secret? Yeah. I have never read that, have never, never seen, seen the movie. The movie? I nothing? know nothing about it. Oh, my gosh. Well, we'll have to do that okay. because it's a really good book. Okay. Yeah. So while at Stanford, Kesey is invited by a friend to take part in what he did not know at the time was a CIA-funded study 
under the name of MK Ultra. Dude, we talked about this. Yes. Okay. A very secretive program conducted at the Menlo Park Veterans Hospital where the program focused on the study of effects of psychedelic drugs. Yeah, we talked about MK Ultra, mm-hmm. I think, in the Stranger Things episode a while back. Yeah. If you want expansion on that. Yeah, exactly. Fun. Go back and listen to that. So the main focus was on LSD, mescaline, cocaine, AMT, DMT, and psilocybin. It sounds like a party. No, it just sounds like a party. <laughs> uh, many of these experiments were illegal. Okay. Uh, with a goal being to weaken an individual through brainwashing and psychological torture to obtain confessions and information. Right. All right. So Kesey would go on to write many detailed accounts of his time in this program and his favorite of the drugs, which was LSD. Interesting. Or lysergic acid diethylamide. Or simply acid. Which, (laughs) how about some acid? Some acid. (laughs) (laughs) So it's considered a hallucinogenic drug. Typically, the effects are altered thoughts and feelings and an awareness of your surroundings. Okay. Uh, Many people who try this have visual or auditory hallucinations. Um, LSD became illegal in 1968. So, up until that point, it was a legal drug. Really? Yes. Okay. All right. So with the success of his book, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and the fundulation that came with that, money, money. Kesey and his wife moved to La Honda, California, okay. where he hosts these parties, attended by many of his lifelong Stanford friends mm-hmm. and others who begin calling themselves the Merry Pranksters. Where and, did that name come from? I'm in love with it. I know. I want to know. Right? Everything. Because they were always just like goofing around, goofing around, having a laugh. And they all. And they were merry. <laughs> and they were merry. They were happy. Aww. But they all had their own little nicknames, oh each one of them. It's, and they're, they're funny. And it tells you how they got the nickname and everything. Really? Mm-hmm. So I got a lot of my information from a documentary called Magic trip so it goes into the backstories of oh how God, yeah. of each of these people and how they got their little nicknames and all that I kind want of a stuff little nickname i know right God. my only nickname was wrecking ball head when i was little because <laughs> i was told i had a big head <laughs> and oh, i don't no. like that one I'm getting a new one <laughs> i want a new one damn it something merry yes <laughs> so he called these parties acid tests Okay. And he would take the parties to public locations and advertise it by hanging posters asking the question, can you pass the acid test? No. No. So (laughs) this is where they would drink LSD-laced beverages, often Kool-Aid, and trip out. Dude. Okay. Okay. With unbridled hedonism. Art and music and just, you know, whatever was... The 60s. Yeah. It was, you know, whatever will be, will be. Right. So there was a group of musicians that attended one of these acid tests Mm -hmm. uh, known as the Warlocks. They would soon become the house band for these little acid tests. Damn. uh, And would eventually change their name to the Grateful Dead. What? Yes. You're shitting me. No. Uh-uh. Okay. Yeah. Dots are being connected. Right? Okay. So think the whole hate Ashbury scene <gasps> then, and then all of the people like Jefferson, um, you know, Airplane, Airplane all yeah. of those, you know. Wow. So Keezy intertwined with all of them. Okay. So the 60s counterculture movement really began here with Ken Keezy. Wow. 
In 64, he claimed he was too young for the beatnik generation, but too old to be a hippie. And he lit the fuse for the explosion of the 1960s, meshing it all together and solidifying him as the key iconic figure associated with the 1960s. Damn, that is a torch to, to yeah, bear. right? Wow, that is cool. Yeah. Way to go, Ken Cheesy. That's all I can think of. When I, <laughs> Ken you keep, Cheesy. You keep saying his name and all I can Ken think Cheesy. of is Ken Cheesy. <laughs> Ken Cheesy. So according to Cheesy, Kennedy had been assassinated in 63. Okay. And the sadness that swept America was just not like sadness. It was a loss of innocence and a loss of the idea that good would always prevail. Oh, yeah. And there was no way to depict the pain and feeling of crisis and darkness that America was feeling. It was like a shared grief. A shared grief. Yeah. Right. So in 1964, Kesey purchases a 1939 school bus, which they paint in all of these psychedelic colors and images, and they name the bus Further. Okay. Okay. It looks which, almost identical to the one in Across the Universe. Well, it becomes a pop, uh, like a pop culture icon. Oh, and the it, bus itself. It was the bus that, like, it was the inspiration for the bus used in Magical Mystery Tour for, you know, in the movie. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Magic School Bus, the show. Yeah. Like, all of that came from this. That is fucking cool. It, like, right? became its own thing. Yeah, exactly. Neat. Right. And so he says that they wanted to give people hope and a new way to look at America because of everything that had happened and try to stop the world from ending. Wow. Like the, it was so heavy that yeah. people thought the world is ending. Mm. And it seems that they turned out, it turned out that they created a whole new world yeah. just with this. Like it wasn't their intention to create this whole thing. They but were just, it just trying to spread some merry joy. Some, some bread, spread some merry joy. <laughs> spread <Yes>. some bread. <laughs> spread some bread. <laughs> TM. <laughs> so he and the Merry Pranksters decide to take the bus from California to New York okay. to the 1964 World's Fair. Wow. Keezy decides to trade in his typewriter for a camera and film the antics of the group. Fun. Right? So they pull up into Arizona and they're all tripping out on LSD. Okay. And so they take these paints that somebody had, these acrylic paints that were used for like painting the bus, I guess, and they pour it into water. Okay. And then they take one of the guy's shirts and they dip it in and they create tie-dye, which becomes part of the hate Ashbury scene. Yep. The fuck? Right? Wow. Okay. So. This is very inspiring. Right? I'm feeling very, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, and they're documenting their experiences all the way to New York, but it was such a hot mess that it never became a movie and it sat collecting dust at his home until this guy did the magic trip in 2011, I think. Yeah. I'm watching that immediately. Yeah. So the journey would then be chronicled in Tom Wolfe's book, the electric Kool-Aid acid test in 1968, which chronicles this whole thing. But one of the, uh, one of the pranksters that was driving the bus, like he became the bus driver. Mm hmm was a man named Neil Cassidy. Okay. Um, and he was the real-life inspiration for Jack Kerouac's character, Dean Moriarty, in On the Road. So this guy is a pop culture staple and yeah. a very fascinating read. If you go in and read about him, so many songs have been written about him, like 
Grateful Dead wrote songs. Like there's so many a part two. So many songs written about him. Yeah. So Cassidy's friend circle had the group hanging out with Jack Kerouac, Ginsburg, all the heavy hitters of the day. Wow. Yeah. So we're weaving like I had absolutely no idea. Right. Right. Very cool. Crazy. So while in New York. Keezy and his band of merry pranksters decide to pay a visit to yet another psychedelic guru on his compound in New York, who was none other than Timothy Leary and his good friend Richard Albert. Okay. Who then became known as Ram Dass. Okay. Okay. Now wait a fucking minute. Right. (laughs) Okay. I'm there. Okay. Yes. So it goes that Leary was so put off by Keezy and his band of merry pranksters that he would not meet them. Ooh, ouch. Okay. Uh, you know, many people found this to be kind of a bummer because if they would have connected and shared stories, it would have been like the East and West psychedelic scene kind of Making like peace, meshing together. together. Wow. Yeah. And I've I've read some things, but I didn't dive deep enough to say that there was contention between those two. Okay. Um, but Timothy Leary and Ram Dass are another episode for sure. Fucking hell, I cannot wait. Okay. Right? So the group returns to California and continue their escapades for a while. Keezy is arrested in 65 for marijuana possession, spends some time in jail before moving to his family's farm in Oregon, where he pretty much lived a pretty quiet life up until his death in 2001. Mm. Still married to Faye. Like oh, hey, yeah. holding it down. All right. Yeah. This is how intertwined this guy is in pop culture. So I guess he and Faye had kind of like a an open relationship. And so while yeah. they were on the road to New York, he had relations with one of the merry pranksters, okay. which produced a, a child. Okay. And I think their name they named it Sunshine. Okay. Sounds this, cute. This, yes. But this woman ends up marrying Jerry Garcia, and he adopts the child. Oh, my God. Right? Okay. So, I mean, it's such an interweaving yeah. of pop culture and iconography. I'll say. Is that, was that even I, a word? Iconography. I, iconography. I <laughs> was going to roast you for it, but I thought I was going to be nice, and then you brought it up. So it made I'm me not so- sure. It made me sound smart. Every but no. fucking time I rip on you for mispronouncing a word, someone finds us on social media, and they're like, actually, she was right. So I'm just going to shut the fuck up, because you're probably right, and I'm the dumbass. I thought it sounded smart. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that is pretty much, you know. Holy shit. Yeah, so you're probably wondering how then do I tie this into magic? And let me tell you. Okay. So when I was doing my research for Dark Side of the Moon. Yes. I ended up reading a passage about Sid Barrett. Okay. And it was talking about how he was in the occult and how he was in the magic. And then he starts experimenting with all this drugs. And it seemed to be kind of like an element that flows through music and right. the occult and drugs. Of that time, definitely. Sex, drugs, yeah. and rock and roll. And it was talking about how magic is really about lifting yourself up to a higher consciousness. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of work that goes into it. Yeah. A lot of work. Right. Got to do a lot of self-discovery. And when LSD came out, they thought it was a way to bypass the work, the work and Sounds take nice. you directly to this, you yeah, know, I like higher that. consciousness. I want to go there. No. <laughs> and so I thought that kind of weaves magically. Oh, I think it. Yeah. I don't even think you need to justify it. I think like 
you've been wanting to talk about the 60s counterculture movement, and I think that this is completely magical and expanding your mind. I mean, I think it fits. You don't need to. Yeah. I, I got think, you. I yeah, know where you, you're coming from. You know where from. I'm coming from? I yeah. Do. So if ever there was a decade that I relate to most, it is definitely the 60s, 60s for me. It's really interesting that this was your topic this week because I think that it was something that I needed to hear. Really? Yeah. Like, and I didn't know any, I knew this was the topic you were mm-hmm. doing, but I was like, don't fucking tell me anything. Cause yeah. I just want to like learn it with you. Yeah. Um, I have been definitely feeling like I've seen too much. We've talked about this. Like yeah. I've seen too much of the bad mm-hmm. in the world. And like, I really want to just get back to like finding joy and, mm-hmm. and trying to be more positive. Yeah. And that like, as soon as you said that, like they painted the bus and like, that is how I saw myself when I was younger. Like, yeah. I thought I was going to be living a type of life like yeah, that. Yeah, the Mary Prankster life. <laughs> I mean, I didn't yeah. know it, but yeah, yeah, like, just painting and and art and mm-hmm. music and just mm-hmm. spreading that kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like the world kind of beat me down a little bit, and yeah. I've been trying to, like, get back up. Yeah. And that's very inspiring. It is very inspiring. Like, the world collectively at that time was going through so much shit, and I feel like it is now. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's a very right. similar thing, and yeah. we need more... Of that. Yeah. 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 It's funny because in this documentary I watched, so it said that they made their own clothes and that they typically wore, which would be uh, defacing the flag now, but they wore red, white, and blue because they knew that they would be off-putting to people because uh, they said the 60s really didn't start until this with him in like the 64. So they were kind of starting that. So the early 60s, like mm. 60, 61, was still that 1950s vibe America right. where everybody was pretty tight-laced. Right. And so they knew they were going to be off-putting. Wow. And so they wore like red, white, and blue and to flags. Bridge right. the gap. Interesting. And he always had like a flute and it reminded me of Ron Burgundy. Was it Burgundy. a Shania? It was <laughs> like Ron Burgundy. He was always like, under the bathroom stall. Every time I saw this documentary and him with the flute, I was like, it's Ron Burgundy. Oh my God. Those are two Will Ferrell references that we pulled out of our ass for this episode. Fuck yeah. Nice. Fuck yeah. Didn't even try. Sweet. No, I love that. Just yeah. and their name, like the Merry Pranksters, and just like joy and mm-hmm. I don't know, expanding your mind and thinking differently yeah. and just spreading like warmth and sunshine. Yeah. And I yeah. don't know. I feel like we definitely need more of that kind of energy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. That I love that. And it seems like the movie got it pretty damn. Like that sounds exactly like what happened in oh the movie. Oh my gosh. In Across the Universe. They did Bono. it right. Yeah, he's yeah, supposed so to be when him. he's like, they stop at Dr. Geary's. That's it's Leary. Timothy Leary. Wow. You know, yeah. And the bus, like, once you said that the bus was based on a real thing, which yeah. I didn't know, yeah. I looked it up, and they look, like, very, oh, yeah. very similar. Yeah. They that, call it beyond where it's further, you know. That, further. I love that she paid that, you know, she gave that much of a nod to her, what was actually yeah, going on. Her attention to detail, phenomenal. Wow. Julie Tamar. Wow. Love that. You artistic goddess. Yeah. Okay. That, I loved that. Yes. This might be my new favorite topic. Really? Yes. It was so fascinating. And like, I think we talked this morning. I said, sometimes I get so, because I am a Virgo. Yeah. 
there is just so much information and I want to share it all. And I, I want have to teach to, you everything. I want to share it. Yeah. And it's like, so I know there has to be a movie out there on Timothy Leary, on Ram Dass. And we're going to, we'll go into the East Coast side of things at wow. some point. Yeah. I cannot wait. Yeah. I love that you got across the universe in here though, because it's another one that's just like, it's magical in and of itself, yes. even if there's not specifically magic yes. in it. Yes. So I like when we can find a way yep. to get the, those kind of movies in here yeah and we kind of our topics like the you know with the 60s show and they were pushing the mm -hmm. boundaries and yeah that's very yeah look at us just look at us go look at us go i like that episode yeah yeah i did i like those lessons i feel rejuvenated yeah i feel a little inspired and i love the adams family because i just think that was at a time where it was still very straight laced and it it did push boundaries and i love that well yeah i was actually thinking and i forgot to mention earlier but like this idea of marriage or like how marriage is often portrayed in pop culture is that it's like stuffy and there's yeah. no sexual attraction and it's yeah. very like ball and chain. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I hate that yeah. because that's not my experience. Yeah. And so I like that they yeah. showed a marriage that was like hot yeah. and you know, like there was passion well, and yeah. they loved each other. Like, yeah. I feel like that doesn't get shown a lot. Sure. I mean, I don't know. I'm probably telling tales out of school, but I remember like when I was growing up, it was like marriage was for procreation. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so my grandparents, they had separate beds. So in the 50s, I that remember. was you had your own separate twin bed and you slept separately. Right. And that's how I grew up seeing my parent or my grandparents' right. bedroom it was separate. And I that remember was, that. That's so strange. It is. You so know? I like that in that time, like not only were they, you know, like the goth and the mm -hmm. spooky and they had that mm -hmm. element, which was pushing the boundaries but then and you passion. had like this passion yeah which is i don't know and kind of what i'm getting for yours too like just this passion and this yeah. fierceness that i don't yeah. know i've been lacking yeah so now i'm feeling rejuvenated yes yes damn it yes wow okay love it Up top way to go girl Sweet. awesome what a fun episode i loved it are you ready for killer quotes of the week i am okay All right, mine is don't torture yourself, Gomez. That's my job. I From love Morticia. that one. Iconic, yes. All right, mine is uh, famous Ken Kesey says you're either on the bus or you're off the bus, relating it to this is a group consciousness, so either you're attuned or you're not. Wow, Ken Cheesy, fucking killing it. All right. I like that, Ken Cheesy. Yes. Get in or get the fuck out. That's right. All right, well... That was a great one. Loved it. Loved it. Oh, I'll see you next week, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Hang out again? Uh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> same bat time, same bat channel. Yeah, yeah. All right, everybody. TTFN. Cut, print, checks, gate. Moving on. <laughs>